0: does have it all all of our pre-owned vehicles are hubler q certified which include a 128 point vehicle inspection a free carfax vehicle history report and two warranties a two-year 100,000 mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day 1,000 mile comprehensive warranty visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com you're listening to the best of kevin inquiry on 93.5 and 1075
1: the fan Jake, our next guest certainly resonates in this part of the country, Big Ten country that is, both Indiana and Purdue in action tonight. So, a whole lot we can get to with Bruce Weber on that front. But, you know, when I first came across this a few weeks ago, um, I was listening to Tyrese Halliburton on a podcast, and all of a sudden, out of the blue, he mentions Bruce Weber's name. And it was, uh, I first didn't make the connection of like, wait a minute, Bruce Weber was kind of a rival coach to him in college, right? I mean, Kansas State, Iowa State, like, It's not like he coached him in college, but then Halliburton mentioned how he was the U-19 coach for the U.S. team in 2019, and and he was kind of shocked to make that team with a ton of NBA talent and really credited Bruce Weber for kind of showing him that he could be something on a national, international stage. So to get more into that, and again, talk some Big Ten Purdue hoops, of course, Bruce Weber joins us. Now, Coach, good morning good morning guys how are you we are doing great thank you for the time on this thursday morning and let's start there um 2019 you coached the usu 19 team you are littered with nba talent but tyrese halliburton you could argue i think was probably one of your more important players why did you select tyrese and i guess what did you see at iowa state that made you thought think that he could play with these future lottery picks
2: to be honest, he might have been our MVP. It was it was really probably close between him and Reggie Perry uh, for the tournament. And, you know, just a young man that just, one, as, as you probably got to know him and, and watch him, he just played the game with such great energy. He loves the game. He's such a good teammate, uh, just a leader. And, you know, we played against him when he was a freshman, and, he didn't score much. He didn't shoot much. But when he shot, he, he usually made it. But his assist turnover ratio was just astronomical. And I could be wrong, but it was something like 10 to 1, 8 to 1, or something. And he just took care of the ball, and he had great size. And, you know, I, I called his coach, Steve, and, and said, hey, I, I think he'd be a nice, you know, position player for us. Uh, you know I hope he comes to the tryouts he got there and uh, he just he surprised everyone to be honest and and he just got better and better as the tournament went on Just watching his maturation over that month uh, was kind of amazing and and it just the next year what a difference as a player that that experience playing uh, with that talent you know uh, playing against the international talent. It just gave him so much confidence, uh, you know, for that upcoming season, and until he got hurt, he he was definitely one of the better players in the country, and then obviously a, you know, a draft choice, and, and now just had a, you know, spectacular NBA year, and Almost, uh, I don't know, an NBA All Star year for you guys with the Pacers.
1: Yeah, uh, undoubtedly. You kind of touched on it a little bit there, but I was hoping you could expand. You know, when Halliburton made these comments, I'm thinking, oh, he must have gone off for like 20 against Kansas State as a freshman. I looked up, he played you guys three times, zero points. Four points and six points. So, like, I guess, what was it about whether Steve Prom, when you talked to him, or just how he played the game, I guess, that made you think, you know, even though he didn't have these huge games against us, we feel like with Cade Cunningham and Jalen Suggs, Evan Mobley, he can fit in perfectly.
2: Yeah, just that, again, his, his leadership, his feel for the game, uh, his passing instincts, uh, you know, just. You know, I think that was the thing that really, you know, and then when he got to the camp and this was, you know, we had some players, not only uh, players that, you know, you know, Evan Mobley, the guys you mentioned, all those guys, uh, Jalen Green, Jalen Suggs, uh, but the the guys we cut were really, really good players. Hunter Dickinson and, uh, you know, I just go on and on. The list was amazing. It was one of the, better tryouts that I was ever involved with with USA Basketball, but he definitely set himself ahead of everyone just because of he understood the game. Those other guys were so young, um, and they had one international competition, but it, it, it's such a difference, a big jump, because now you start playing against the pros and older players at that 19 and under, and the knowing how to prep at the college level, understanding what different ball screen coverages are and all those things, he was just a good leader for us. I remember him and Isaac Leichel, He was playing at Ohio State. They would grab me and and Mike Hopkins was the assistant. The young guys weren't paying attention. They'd tell us we'd take care of them. They put our arm around. Them, Don't get mad, coach. We'll be okay. And uh, <laughs> just, just good leaders uh, for us and and helped us win the gold. It was we actually you know we it, we I think it was the biggest winning margin ever in U nineteen. Um, you know, our, our our winning margin for all the games. The only one that was maybe a little close was uh, the championship, and then we kind of expanded that thing as the game went on.
3: Bruce Weber, who has been a conference coach of the year in three different conferences in college basketball, joins us on the Payless Liquors Hotline here this morning. Coach, I'm, I'm going to get a little bit Freudian here, but you have always been, and, and listen, I, I get it, I'm sure you have days where you're stressed or you have bad days or things aren't going your way, but it never really shows. You're always like this upbeat. I mean, it's 7.38 in the morning, and you're upbeat, you're awake, you are you have a smile in your voice. Tyrese Halliburton, to me, from the outside watching it, seems to play basketball that way. He seems to always be enjoying it. He seems to not get too down on a turnover or a bad play, and that seemingly lifts the others around him. A, is that an accurate assessment of his game, and B... Did you having a similar mindset each day allow you younger in his career to recognize his benefit in that?
2: Yeah, there's no doubt. I I think that's a great way. He just loves the game. He appreciates the game. I still remember his uh, coach Steve kept calling me. Is he going to make it? He's going to make it. I said, yeah, he's one of the better players. Don't worry. Well, his mom and his, his aunt wanted to buy tickets to come to Greece, which was uh, to play at tournament in Creek Greece was a pretty nice thing for, for myself and our staff and our players, unbelievable experience. But you know, and he just you know, he was a two star recruit, Oshkosh, Wisconsin. Um, you know, you know, just he was just so happy to be there and right now just you watch him play in the NBA, he's just happy every day to be part of it and and he and he competes and he brings he just lifts everybody up with that energy and, and you know, feel for the game.
3: Have you seen coach – I mean, you've coached a long time. You've, you've coached some great players over the course of your career, whether it be Purdue, you know, I mean, obviously Southern Illinois, Illinois, Kansas State. Once guys – the thing to me that I think is going to be interesting about Halliburton, and I want you to talk me off of this ledge, sometimes you never know once guys become the straw that mixes the drink Exactly how they're going to respond to it and whether or not they don't outgrow the things that allowed them to be put in that position in the first place. Is there that possibility? Do guys change once the game comes to them?
2: Yeah, there, there's no doubt Um are you saying in a bad way? or? or yeah, well, we've
3: seen, you know, just for example, and, and they're wonderful players, don't get me wrong, but like in, in Indiana, I think Pacers fans have like a PTSD over Paul George becoming a star before our very eyes and just kind of getting a little bit overwhelmed by that and outgrowing his brand, so to speak, a little bit with Oladipo as well. And I think people have hesitation to fully invest in on Tyrese Halliburton because it's like, wait a minute, he's becoming a star right here before our very eyes. Is lightning going to strike a third time on us?
2: Yeah, and and that's what I thought you were going toward. And I would tell you, I would be shocked if he changed. Just knowing him, knowing his background, knowing his family, uh, his dad, I think think still referees games, um, you know, summer basketball, things like that. I remember they, they he my brother's a high school coach up in Wisconsin and and knew his dad and and you know they they FaceTime with me after one of the games and the dad had just refereed a game and and you know I just don't see the his roots are so you know appreciative the gratitude part I, I I'd be honest I'll be shocked if he would change and you know and and I and I know what you're saying I've experienced it I've watched. You know, Darren Williams and, and been around guys like that. And, you know, it's hard not to change. And, but, uh, you know, in in his case, I think he's going to keep that happy, bubbly feeling and keep playing the way he does because that's what makes him special, to be honest.
1: His dad is quite the character. <laughs> I was fortunate to hang out with the family a few times, and they are uh, they are a great bunch. Again, Bruce Weber with us, longtime college basketball coach. You now see him on Big Ten Network, National Coach of the Year um, in his history, and obviously a ton of time in West Lafayette. Coach, I was listening to Matt Painter the other day, and he mentioned that he feels like he's simply implementing the blueprint that he learned under Gene Cady. When you watch Purdue and have watched him under Matt Painter, What is that blueprint, and if any, what ways do you see Matt Painter doing things maybe differently than what Gene did?
2: Well, you know, obviously Matt was my assistant. I I coached him. I recruited him. um, And, you know, he's just – I I knew from when he was a player, you know, just coming into office, hanging out, uh, that he was going to be a good coach – you know, he, I, I helped him get his first job with, uh, Tom Ryder was one of our other assistants, went to a D3, uh, Washington and Jefferson. And, you know, he drove, the, I'm sure you've heard the story, drove a, a forklift at the Coke, uh, plant in the morning and then helped out and coached. And, you know, it just kind of showed you how much he loved the, the game and he wanted to coach. But, you know, he's just a really smart basketball coach and he understands the way coach katie won and and the way we all had success or tried to that you get good quality kids that want to play college basketball they want to be at purdue uh they want to get better and you know i think that's so important to him and he's been able to establish that brand and and have success and continue to have success and that's why he's got those guys they they Really want to be at Purdue. They want to play for him. They listen. They're coachable. I've been to practice several times this year, and and he demands of a, without uh, probably the fireiness that Coach Katie had, um, and you know, but yet he's still demanding. And and we talk quite a bit. And I and I've told him that you know one of the things I'm afraid for some of the young coaches now that they're afraid to. Demand things out of the players uh, because of all the portal and the NLI and all that stuff. But, you know, Matt coaches them. He still coaches them. He makes them do details. And I think the one other different thing with him is he's he, 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 Matt and Kevin Stallings are two of the smartest offensive coaches that I've ever been around. And, um, you know, he just he, he understands the game. He, he studies the game. And he's, he's made, you know, different than Coach Cady. Obviously, that tough defensive brand, you know, and, and they're Purdue's good defensively this year. But Matt's offensive intelligence is, is at another level.
3: Coach, I was just talking the other day. Bruce Weber's our guest. We were just talking the other day. It was Glenn Robinson's 50th birthday. I'm the same class in high school as Glenn, 1991. You were at Purdue as an assistant at the time. And that was a golden era, really, for high school basketball in the area. I mean, Montross and Bailey were a year ahead of me. The Grahams were two years ahead of me, Leary. And then you had, obviously, Allen Henderson and Glenn in in my class, Damon Bethea. I mean, there were a lot of great players. But that was to your point. We had Hoop Scoop Magazine and Off the Glass. Those were like the two things where you could read about recruits. We didn't have the internet and rivals and all of those things so Glenn Robinson was like this mythical figure. He was like this urban legend. This kid in Gary just wait until he comes down state and you see him playing and, and boy did he ever, right? What was it like recruiting back then versus recruiting now for for coaches? Just how much have things changed and have we almost given too much power now to the player as opposed to the coach?
2: Well, you know, the recruiting then was amazing. And you talk about a golden era, The going to the wigwam, sold out, you know, Mackey Arena, watching Glenn playing us in semi state or whatever, you know, 12,000 people, What you know, just, I tell people the All Star games, um, you know, sell out crowds in, in, you know, in the Pacers Arena or down in, the, in, in Louisville or, or in Lexington. So, it was such a special time uh, for basketball in Indiana. There's no doubt, um, you know, and, and to have, you know, to watch those young guys and watch them grow and watch Glenn grow as a player was really special. But the other part I'd laugh when you bring up Hoop Scoop magazine, the recruiting, that was my, one of my major tools. And Matt Payton would come in the office and steal it. And coach <laughs> Katie would ask me about young players. And I said, well, Matt took my Hoop Scoop. <laughs> we recruit. So, um, but it, it, you know, it was different. And you know, Coach Katie always worried about change. Um, the game, it, it evolves. Um, my dad worried about change. You know, that's just part of life. And I, you know, I think the game's still good. I, I do worry about the NIL if it's sustainable. Um, I worry about you know some of the implications around it. I think everyone does that. You know, all the. Coaches that have been involved, I think even the young the young coaches that I talk to are worried about it. So, you know, it'll be interesting how this whole thing evolves over the next few years. But I, I don't know if that NIL is sustainable. And and again, I'm not against paying the players. I, I think there's been a lot of progress with you know, giving the players more things. Um, You know, my players between cost of attendance and uh, their scholarship checks and all the other little things in the food. I mean, they were making 20, 25,000 before NIL and and they were doing fine, you know? And, and, you know, I think sometimes national media, um, you know, made it like we were just abusing these guys. And I was like, come to our place, man. And I still remember, and we talked about this other night in the big 10 studio, um, the player from UConn said that he went to bed hungry. I promise you, none of our guys at Purdue went to bed hungry. None of our guys at Illinois, at Southern Illinois, even I. You know, we those guys were well fed and well taken care of. So, um, you know, I, I just think it's a, you know, it, it times have changed, and and you you know that's part of Coach Katie. One of his big things he always told us: if you want to stay in the business, you've got to be flexible and you got to change with the times. And that's why he stayed in the business, and that's why Matt's been
3: so successful. Is the league, it, is basketball different from one league to the next? I know that at its core, Bruce Weber, that basketball is the same game. But, like, for example, when the Big Ten gets, when Big Ten teams get into the tournament, is it a different style of play that wins? between January and March in the Big Ten than what you need to play, say, in the Big 12, and does that give any one league an advantage over the others once they're all thrown into a tournament?
2: Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt that there is a difference. Um, and I think, and, and I don't know why, uh, but our guard play that I experienced in the Big 12 um, in the last stretch is just, it's, it's different. Um the athleticism, the two guard—we had a lot of two guards, the small ball—and I and I really believe uh, once you get into the tournament, I think that's been the success. Obviously, Kansas, Baylor, uh, other other Texas Tech a few years ago, our, even my team, K State, we went to the Elite Eight not long ago, and um, you know I think you know that's the difference. And it's uh, I I worry a little bit for the Big Ten as we get into the you know, into March again, for this year, if you have the guard play that can control games in those close games and make the plays
1: that matter. Coach, we'll end with this and really appreciate your time. Again, Big Ten Studios, Bruce Weber mentioned where you can find him right now. Purdue, uh, what they've done this season kind of speaks for itself. They appear to be the Big Ten favorite as we approach the midway point of the Big Ten schedule. You see anybody challenging them the rest of the way in the Big Ten? Pardon me, I lost you there for a second. Yeah, you see anybody challenging Purdue atop the Big Ten here as we get into the second half of the Big Ten slate?
2: You know, it. I, I think they're the best team, that, and, and I say team. Obviously, they have the best player. Uh, Zach is unbelievable, and, and his improvement is amazing. So much credit to Matt and his staff. Um, but I, a lot of things can happen, and they had a, a, they're going to have one other bad stretch, I, I think. I mean, all teams go through it. They are young. I worry about the the, their, the young guards wearing down, even though they seem to have that special toughness and that they have that special Indiana feel for the game. There's no doubt the, the fundamentals and that, that I'm sure you've watched through the years. Um, but, I, you know, they're going to have a couple setbacks, but I think there's going to be a lot of losses in the league. The balance is just amazing. Um, you know, from 1 one through probably through 12, 11, it's, it's going to be hard every night. So, it, You know, I think they're going to be, you know, the team to beat. There's no doubt. But, you know, they'll have a little setbacks. And, you know, somebody may get hot here and have a nice stretch run. And I really worry about injuries, Um, you know, being a big, you know, factor. It's already been a factor for Michigan State. I think if they were healthy, I thought they could maybe push uh, Purdue a little bit. I think Illinois, if they can stay together as a group, they could push – uh, Purdue a little bit and because of their style and they they got some you know pretty good guard play and those young guys have developed so what about Indiana I, I you know it's it's they it would be nice to get healthy again I don't think I don't know what Xavier Johnson's situation is I think they need them just because of the guard play and uh and they you know I thought they competed and you know coach Woodson said a week ago they needed to play a lot harder, and they needed to compete, and I thought they did that against Wisconsin, and it'll be interesting here the next few games how they continue to make progress on that defensive end.
3: Okay, last thing for me, Coach, and we'll let you go. I- I've got to ask this, though, because this would drive me bonkers. You've got a- an impressive and incredible resume, Bruce Weber. You've had energy. You've had success. You've been well-liked. You're sitting on 497 wins. I- it, like it would drive me crazy every night where I'd think to myself and be so tempted to go somewhere for three games, get three wins, and sayonara, and get to 500. Does that drive you nuts?
2: I don't know. I, I'll be honest, I didn't even know it was 497. Uh, now, yeah, see, now you went back, don't you? Well, three that, games. that describes your lack of ego and my co-host's ego with that. I, you know, I, I love coaching. Um, if I could, you know, if the right situation came up, um I got you know for my wife my grandkids I would coach again and uh because I just love it I, I miss I the one thing the Big Ten Networks helped me stay involved with just going to practice and being around staff sitting with Matt and his staff and one you know Tom nizzo I sat with him a couple weeks ago when I did their game for two three hours and just hung out and you know that's what I miss that that camaraderie and all that so uh but, you know, and I guess to answer your question, I wouldn't coach again. jam, but it's got to be the right thing, and we'll see what happens. Uh, you know, I've been very, very fortunate. You know, 18 years at Purdue was just amazing, and um, I thought I'd stay there forever. It didn't work out. I got other unbelievable opportunities, and, you know, if that's in my plan, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. But I uh, love it and so fortunate and blessed to be part of college basketball, especially in the golden era that you talked about.
1: Well, we're certainly lucky to have you. We're lucky to have you on the show this morning. Can't thank you enough, Coach, for the time. And uh, we'll be watching you on Big Ten Network and hopefully see you on the sideline here. Appreciate it. Thank you.
4: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclib 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
1: Glad to hear you guys enjoyed the Bruce Weber interview as much as we did. Jake kind of sharing a similar story that you had of Bruce Weber here at the final four. My brother-in-law texted me. I uh, think this is back around like 2010, 2011, that I uh, met Bruce Weber at a concession stand line at Wrigley Field. Said he was so cool, willing to talk to us for several minutes. Yeah, so. just a super nice guy, right? I mean,. And uh, he said he uh, gave him a hard time about the IU shirt that my brother-in-law was was rocking there. So uh, if you missed it, that'll certainly be
3: up on the podcast. Um, you had mentioned Kevin. And good morning to you, by the way. 8 o'clock hour underway. Jake Quarry along with Kevin Bowen. Mark Dykton here as well. It's Kevin and Quarry on 93.5, 107.5 The Fan on a Thursday. Fortunately, warm out, but not necessarily um, sunny outside. But we'll take what we can get. Kevin, in terms of the Colts, we have talked so much about the coaching search, which seems like they're kind of narrowing down their interviews and then, you know, a little bit of a holding pattern. Right. Um, You know, the other big question mark is going to be the guy who is taking the snaps, who is going to be the quarterback for the Colts this coming season. I think it is very safe to say that they will. I think, especially from the owner, be strongly encouraged to explore a quarterback in the upcoming draft. However, that is not to say that that player automatically is handed the reins. There are certainly players in the NFL right now, quarterbacking, that are very successful that either took a year before they were handed the reins or took a year to get going I heard yesterday, just for example, I heard Chap on on with Brian Hammonds on the Midday Show, and Lamar Jackson's name was brought up, not necessarily because he would be the guy that you think to yourself, like, they're going to go all in to get Lamar Jackson. I'm not saying that, but the, the situation in Baltimore is intriguing. They can franchise tag him, I believe, but if that Relationship is so fractured that Baltimore decides not to. Are you intrigued by pursuing that option?
1: You know, I've always been intrigued by Lamar Jackson as a player. Um, such a dynamic talent stresses you like no other. Uh, but I would not want him here, given what you would need to get him here, and that's a whole lot. You know, you mentioned the franchise tag, Jake, and all likelihood, you would have to trade for him and then give him obviously a monumental contract. I mean, hasn't there been talks of his side once what Deshaun Watson got with Cleveland? I mean, that is an absurd number for a player that, again, is an incredible talent, and I've made it very clear that the mobile element of the quarterback position has to be tapped into more by the Colts. They just have been too statuesque at quarterback over the years. But when I say mobile threat, I don't mean you need Mike Vick or Lamar Jackson. Like, that to me is... First off, that's incredibly rare. Rare error, to quote Jim Merce. But it also brings susceptible hits and injuries. And if you look at Lamar Jackson, he just turned 26. So let's say you slap the franchise tag on him, so then he's 27 next January, and you give him some sort of whatever, six-year deal? I don't know. Who knows if he wants more than that? Jake, that means the meat of his contract, when you're paying him that extraordinary type of money, he's into his 30s. How long can Lamar Jackson continue to be as dynamic of a dual-threat quarterback as he's been so far in the NFL? That is the concern for me. That would be the worry. Again, giving up a draft pick, paying him that money at some point when these guys get into their 30s, you do naturally have to be a little bit more of a pocket passer type. Uh, would he still be worth that value? I would argue he would not be. Um, so that's where the hesitancy would would play in for me. And I guess you just have to be honest about your cap situation. Could you make it work? Sure. It would create a really, really tight cap. And some of this is the Colts' fault when they've paid positions that I don't think deserve the type of contracts they've given the likes of a guard a running back coming up in all likelihood a linebacker we've been over that time and time again that's why I think it's so beneficial to find a quarterback have him on that rookie deal for five years because you can still support him really really well of course not the proven talent that Lamar Jackson is uh but there are some questions that I would I like Lamar Jackson too but I can see why the Ravens
5: are a little bit hesitant to give him this massive contract because the last two seasons now 12 games he's played He's been out the last five each of the last two seasons. Well so hell, five and
3: four. He's what? missed ten games. Yeah. He's missed ten games in five in five years.
1: And, yeah. and lately, mm-hmm. right? Isn't that where he's missed a huge chunk of them?
5: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. He missed five this season, four last season. Yeah. He missed one in twenty twenty, and he played all in eighteen and So again, well, he, he I'm sorry, he missed one in nineteen and twenty.
1: So are these the hits adding up, Jake? Are these the is this the style of play? He's always done a great job, I thought, of kind of avoiding hits. I mean, he's, yeah, I think it's a great description. I've heard Rick Venturi re- refer to him as an eel before. I think it's, he is. He just kind of slithers his way, and and it's hard to get a hold of him. You don't get a lot of clean shots on him. But I just, I would not feel comfortable having such an absurd, well, absurd is a negative connotation with it, such a massive amount of money. To a player that you need elite, healthy athleticism for him to be as dynamic as he is.
3: Into his 30s. So, it begs this question, okay? And I don't know this answer. There are certain guys that their mobility... Doug Flutie... Randall Cunningham, those would be two guys that come to mind. as passers, they were not necessarily and and, and I'm sure there are people that could point out to the contrary of this. I'm going off of you know 30 year ago memory, but their passing was predicated upon them getting loose, dancing around and almost throwing in the motion of of their running game. And once their mobility from a running standpoint went away, then they did. They lacked Randall Cunningham had an unbelievable arm. Don't get me wrong. And Doug Flutie's known for you know the most famous Hail Mary in arguably football history. But, but they were not your typical drop back, drop back, sit in the pocket, find an opening passers. So once the legs went away, it became more difficult to get production out of them. Lamar Jackson, I think, probably has a better arm than he is given credit. I mean, remember Bill Polian saying he can't play quarterback in the league. Well, that clearly was wrong. But is he, Kevin, a guy that once the mobility becomes normal, because it's not now, right? Once that mobility is taken away, can he then, can you still get production out of him at a high level? strictly based on his in-the-pocket yeah, presence. I would say
1: no, and I would say no, Jake, to the value that you're paying him. I mean, you would be paying him to be a top-five quarterback in the NFL. And right now, he's got athletic traits as a dual threat that you could certainly make that case. I just don't think that would be there deep into his 20s, early early the, 30s, as the hits continue to pile up. Like, Let's say his game right now, Jake, is... What makes Lamar Jackson truly great is, you know, whatever. 80% runner, 20% thrower. I'm just throwing out percentages on that. Or the threat thereof. Sure. Right? What if that comes down to 60-40? Or 50-50? Where he's still mobile, but he's not the fastest guy on the field, which is what he is right now. Or, again, the injuries from an availability standpoint... That is what would concern me. And it goes back to, again, when I think mobile threat, I'm not thinking Michael Vick and Lamar Jackson. Those guys do not grow on trees. I'm watching what Dak Prescott did on Monday night. I don't think we look at Dak as some, like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to lose sleep overnight about Dak Prescott running in the open field. I don't think he's viewed like that. But yet he made a handful of big plays with his legs on Monday night or what Daniel Jones did against the Vikings that was a little bit more of a traditional runner but it's those types of things where when you can you get outside of the pocket and make defensive backs have to go from defending for 3.5 seconds to 5.5 and what does that do to a defense
3: one thing about Lamar Jackson that I think should be pointed out in fairness you know, you see guys sometimes that if they are really mobile, you know, running back threat type quarterbacks, sometimes their decision making falls victim to that because they, they wait till – you know, C.J. Stroud at Ohio State, the big knock on him this past year was it was the opposite. He had such a good arm that at times when lanes opened up and his athleticism could have gotten him eight yards, he was hell-bent on staying in the pocket for an extra two yards or slipping away to buy himself an extra three seconds to then air it out for a 35-yard attempt. And people at Ohio State are like, just run, man. But But the other side of that, Lamar Jackson, I think, one area where he is not given enough credit, I think he is a really smart quarterback in terms of knowing, and a lot of it's by design, I get it, but knowing when to buy himself that time and knowing when that time is about to disappear and it's time to get up and go. Oh, he's got great instincts. Instincts, that's the best way to say it. Great instincts.
1: And he's never, Jake, I never feel like he just panics in the pocket and immediately tucks it. You know, he, he gives the pocket a chance and he always keeps his eyes down the field. It's not like he is just... You know, oh boy, first option's not open, I'm ducking, and, and I'm know, running.
3: The two players from a collegiate standpoint that I have seen that are in the NFL right now that just turned the world on its ear with their electrifying college play that happened like overnight where they were running an offense where you're like, oh my gosh, these guys can't be stopped. It's unbelievable. Joe Burrow would be one, but he had incredible weapons that he was throwing to, Right. But the two guys that just came on like a like a brush fire, where you're just wow, like look. And with Lamar Jackson, it has translated. The other is Jameis Winston. I, when Jameis Winston was at Florida State, I remember, you know, it just was like, holy cow, I, this is like a tidal wave coming in. I don't know how you stop it. They're 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 going to drop forty five a night just based on this guy's level of play. And for whatever reason, for Winston, it has not translated. But for Lamar Jackson, it has. You brought up. Well,
1: yeah, and I think different styles. Not, not that you can com- comparing them stylistically.
3: Correct. Um, I'm just saying both of them seem like instant, nonstop offense.
1: You brought up C.J. Stroud earlier, and the thing that has me trying to place him into what Chris Ballard's mind thinks of quarterbacks, You know, Ballard has offered this quote several times about a quarterback. At some point, they've got to thrive in the pocket. You know, at some point, a team will commit resources to take away your running element. I agree with that to to a degree. I I don't. You know, you can spy the hell out of Josh Allen on Sunday if you are the Bengals, and at some point, Josh Allen's just still going to make a play. Like, right? That's just how you know the NFL game is. And but I bring that up to say, C.J. Stroud, I think, has proven in college, to your point, Jake, that he can thrive in the pocket. He doesn't need to be so reliant on his legs. I think that would be attractive to Chris Ballard in that if you take away his run element, if he's dealing with an ankle injury, whatever, this is a guy that's proven that he can hang in there and chuck it 30, 35 times in a game and give you a darn good football. Um, So I think that is something to continue to keep in mind about these quarterbacks here over the next um, three months. We're going to talk some Pacers with Scott Agnes coming up at 9 o'clock. Mark, I know you were intrigued on the quarterback front by something. Dane Brugler, NFL draft expert for the Athletic. Yeah,
5: so Dane Brugler, obviously obviously draft talk, revving up with mock drafts and everything. Dane Brugler of the Athletic put out his mock drafts. One of my biggest pet peeves for these mock drafts is occasionally they'll say, trade, and they won't give any compensation of what, what the offer is. Well, Dane Brugler... Solid guy. Uh, said the Colts will draft a number one trading with the Bears. He actually offered trade compensation, which I'm I'm actually on board with. I think this would be a fair okay, trade. Okay,
3: me the Give us the side of the ball and see if we can guess the player. No player. Ooh, only picks. Only picks. So they're sending them the, the fourth overall mm-hmm. to Chicago, obviously. Mm-hmm. And then I'm assuming probably they're next year's number one as well. And one other pick after that second-rounder this year. Yeah, got to be the second-rounder. Yes.
5: So, Dane Brugler has the Colts projected to draft Bryce Young, number one overall, trading with the Bears the number four, the 35th, and a 2024 first-round pick to the Bears in exchange for the top overall pick. I'm actually okay with this. Um, from a Bears standpoint? From a Bears standpoint, yes. I know people say, ah, two firsts for... Moving up three spots, but you're gonna have to pay. You have to pay up a little bit on the Colts front if you want to move up to number one.
1: And correct me if I'm wrong, the Bears don't have their second, right? Wasn't right. That that was the Chase
5: Claypool move. So you get a very high second, uh, second round pick. And on top of that, you also get to stay in the top four, which means you'll actually be able to draft like a Jalen Carter or Will Anderson, which I'm I'm hoping they get one of those two. So if you can stay in the top four and then also get a first round pick next year, especially if you don't think the Colts are gonna be very good. I think that's a very solid trade for the Bears.
1: And then Bruglar, I assume, had Houston taken CJ Hu- Stroud?
5: No, he had Houston taken Will Levis at number hmm. 2. Where'd Stroud go? Stroud goes to number 5 uh, to the Carolina Panthers via a trade with Seattle. Interesting. So Stroud drops to 5, and he, yeah, he's got Young, Levis... And then Will Anderson to the Cardinals, Jalen Carter to the Bears, C.J. Stroud to the Carolina Panthers. I think think there's a
1: lot of Colts fans that would
3: see that mock and say, just stay at four and take Stroud. I don't disagree with that. I think Stroud, listen, I'm not some draft guru, but is there a huge difference between Stroud and Young other than size? Stroud's the bigger of the two.
1: And the like thought with Young, obviously a little bit more dynamic as a runner, a little bit more of to steal the phrase from Dane Brugler that he used with us a few weeks back, creator instead of just a passer, albeit CJ Stroud showed, I think in that semifinal game he can create as well. I I, st- I still think Houston just trades back up to one. Doesn't Houston so Mark, Houston picks at two and then don't they pick again like at twelve? Twelve, yeah. So they have the second so and Houston, the twelve. Houston's got I think they have twelve total picks in the draft, yeah, they've not got to a lot. mention two and twelve. I think Houston's going to say, we can't run the risk of Indy jumping us. If we have one quarterback that supersedes the other, we've got plenty of ammo to trade up one spot did Lovey and then did, still have a ton You think ton Houston of, would throw in the 12th, though, for that? Maybe not the 12th, but okay. th- they have plenty of ammo mm-hmm. that they can sit here and say, hey, let's just move back up one spot and you know we can sacrifice some draft picks because we have so many this year.
5: argument for why the colts and bears would trade is because poles and ballard have a relationship going back to kansas city and then he said well bryce young would be an outlier uh and somewhat off type for ballard his instincts vision and accuracy as a passer are the traits worth betting on at the position
3: i want to get to that but mm-hmm. very valid did did lovey smith go for two because he knew houston was going to fire him and he wanted to screw him from first to second <laughs> that, that's the talk <laughs> that'd be awesome if that was seriously true. um Bryce Young's accuracy, I don't dispute that. But the way and I've mentioned this before. I've had this conversation with some people. When Peyton Manning was coming out into the draft, when Drew Bledsoe was coming out into the draft. You know, some of the guys that were big time, I mean, going back to Elway, who was mobile himself and and you know, might be the greatest of all time. But at that time, the way that defenses played and the offenses that were being run in college football were very similar to one another from college to the NFL. So college football offered a much greater prediction of what a guy could do at the professional level than today where if you look at... Collegiately, if you look, a lot of times offenses start sideways and then go down. So a lot of bubble screens, a lot of stuff that are that, that get guys in rhythm. And in addition to that, at the upper-crust schools, the Alabamas, the Clemsons, the Upper-quartile
1: or upper-crust?
3: The upper-quartile of oh. the upper-quartile, uh. which is rare air, Come. okay? At those schools, you have receivers that are so superior at getting off the line against their defender— that a guy like a Bryce Young, who there's no doubt has a great arm and and has very good timing, but he's also throwing in windows that over the course of the last two to three years, he has become accustomed to those windows just being there. And the, the change from the college game to the professional game now is in fact greater where sometimes I think it is almost a benefit to get a guy like a Josh Allen or like a Patrick Mahomes that is playing at a Wyoming or a Texas Tech where, sure, they've got good receivers, but they are having to learn the the collapse time or throw to tighter windows because they have receivers not getting the separation that Bryce Young's receivers have. Or that C.J. Stroud's receivers have.
1: Or certainly Will Levis at Kentucky.
3: Correct. In the SEC. Like Justin Fields, for example, I think at Chicago, has probably played well and been the the outlier of what I'm talking about, but he was a guy that, that had guys, I mean, he was throwing to, look at the guys he was throwing to. Yeah. Chris Olave, Chris Olave, and, and Garrett Wilson. I mean, he's yeah, throwing to guys that yeah. are wide open, right? I think it probably took him time. Now he is so mobile and so good and a bigger guy that he has done a nice job with that. You, you want a quarterback that is Trevor been th- Lawrence is one that I think it took him time because in Clemson he's throwing to T Higgins and he's throwing to you know to Justin Ross and guys that are open all the yeah. time. It took him time to get to get used to that, and he's six six.
1: Yeah, I think there's an element of you would like to see the quarterback. Go through some adversity in college, right? Whether that be 100 percent agree with his receiver personnel. In Will Levis's case, people will point out he had three offensive coordinators in three years there. You know, again, it's not all. And Trevor Lawrence has experienced this. It's not all rose petals and smooth sailing throughout an NFL career. So I think those are all important things to keep in mind. Again, we'll uh, get into the Pacers conversation with Scott Agnes coming up in the nine o'clock hour. Speaking of the Pacers, let's lead off the morning checkdown with their Left. game up.
0: The morning checkdown brought to you by Ball State Basketball. Get your tickets at ballstatesports.com on 93.5 and
3: 107.5 The Fan. And leading with the Pacers, we look at the fact that last night Oklahoma City 126-106 over Indiana. That is now five straight in terms of losses for the Pacers. They are in Denver tomorrow night. Oklahoma City a four-game winning streak. For the Pacers now, as I mentioned, five in a row. Andrew Nimhard, 18 points last night. Here's Rick Carlisle after last night's game.
5: I thought the guys in the fourth quarter
0: did a really good job of just continuing to compete and play and take advantage of opportunities. Uh, but the beginning of the game was ugly. Um, and most of
3: the rest of it was ugly, other than the fourth quarter. And so, you know, we got some things to get better at. You know, our attention to detail throughout the game was poor. And, uh, we just got to get, we just got to get better, learn, learn from this, and get better. You know, we get to two more very tough games on this trip.
1: Usually, never a good thing when the coach leads off at the compete level in the fourth quarter. Uh, timeouts at ten to one and seventeen to one for Rick Carlisle. Trevlin Queen got in the game in the first quarter. That was probably when you knew you could turn it off. Twenty-four turnovers, a season high for Indiana. As Carlisle mentioned at Denver. At Phoenix coming up this weekend. I know Phoenix is struggling. Miles Turner, DeAndre eight
3: Struggling. Aiton,
1: Saturday night. <laughs> Uh, tonight, I'm going to kiss you. <laughs> tonight in the Big Ten, again, handled beautifully by Susie Colbert in that situation. Uh, tonight in the Big Ten, uh, it's going to be an early tip from the barn, Purdue at Minnesota. That is a 6 o'clock local time tip, 7 Eastern. I believe it's ESPN 2 for Purdue. Are you surprised, Jake? 14 and a half point road favorite? That's a lot.
3: It's a big number
1: for sure. Zach Eadie was absolutely
3: dominant in the first meeting 31 Because they're not exactly blowing people away, right? They're just really good down the stretch. They're very well coached.
1: Uh, 89-70 was that first matchup between these two teams. Uh, here was Matt Painter yesterday on the challenge in defending Zach Eady.
3: Yes, without question. You know, there is... Um, and that's what he's got to keep and understand. Like mm-hmm. St. Peter's bottled him up and he turned the ball over five times. Mm-hmm. Um, some people have just doubled him to where he's got to be a passer. And then our guys have stepped up and made shots or haven't made shots. Mm-hmm. You know, And no one's trying to miss a shot, right? So as long as we stay process-based and make good decisions and take good shots, you can live with it. Because when you take good shots and you get people in rotations and you miss them, you still got a chance to rebound the basketball. The play's not over. Mm-hmm. Uh, Indiana, by the way, at Illinois. That is an 830 tip tonight. Illini coming in with a four-game win streak. And congratulations to Terry Morin, who is now the winningest coached in Indiana women's basketball history, getting her 189th win last night as Indiana's fantastic season continues. They win last night, 83-72 over number twenty one Illinois. The Hoosiers are seventeen and one, seven and one in the Big Ten.
1: Jake, it's kind of been a busy week, a busy yeah, week plus, I guess, on the Indy five hundred announcement front. We had Kyle larson for 2024 last week takuma sato earlier this week with chip ganassi for this may and we got shaquille
3: o'neal djing in the snake pit is he i saw the sh, the lineup i didn't see shaq's name dj diesel there you go <laughs> that's Shaq it no, right.
1: will be no i'm serious shaquille o'neal will be djing in the snake pit this year
3: that is the most fitting thing ever for him can we get him on the show got to That'd be
1: awesome Got to be a carb day for us. Shaq on the show. Um, Jacob said this many times, and I sit right there in turn four, so you see the snake pit. Like, do whatever you need to to get a couple thousand extra, and if at some point twenty or forty people all of a sudden make their way over to the actual infield in turn three, and maybe then they make their way eventually into the grandstand. If you're Doug Bulls, you've accomplished what you want. And imagine if Shaq, because think about it like this: the that- biggest
3: DJ in the world.
1: Think yep. about it like this. That's late May, obviously. So that's playoff time on TNT. If Shaq and Ernie and Kenny start talking about, hey, Shaq, what are you doing this weekend? No, you're right. You're I mean, right. That's huge. You're reaching an audience that you obviously are not usually
3: going to sniff. So, yeah, Shaquille O'Neal. I'm actually surprised they didn't make more of that in the announcement, right? Am I DJ naive Diesel. I... I just saw them say DJ Diesel. And my apologies that I didn't put two and two together.
1: Yeah, we got to get him on, Mark. For sure. I want to kiss you. I couldn't care less about the team struggling. I want to kiss you.
3: Thanks, Joe. I'll yeah! a
2: Huge yeah. compliment.
1: God almighty. I forgot about his loud. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, boy. On that note, we'll try to move on to other <laughs> okay. subjects. Can we play that one more time, please? Kevin Aquarius <laughs> struggling into the 830 segment here. I want to kiss you. I couldn't care
3: less about the team struggling. I want to kiss you.
4: Thanks, Joe. I'll
3: yeah! A huge compliment. Yeah, it is 9 o'clock in Indianapolis. It is technically... nine o'clock everywhere in the eastern time zone uh sun making an appearance let's hope it decides to stick around a little bit today uh pacers suddenly all of a sudden the they have looked a lot like the weather of late losers of five straight i think you kind of expected with Halliburton out that there were going to be some bumps in the road but the last couple in particular really bad fourth quarter in Milwaukee, and then last night just never really in it in Oklahoma City. Joining us now on the Payless Sickers Hotline to discuss that. Fieldhouse Files, as well as, uh, I believe, writing a little bit for us as well. Scott Agnes joins us to talk about the Pacers. Uh, Scott, in Denver tomorrow night for the Blue and Gold. Kevin and I were talking about this. I want your thought on it. I personally feel, well, I'll just put it this way without saying which way either one of us go to bias it. Um, do you believe that Indiana is looking to make significant changes to this roster
0: I will say no Nothing. Sign- they're not seeking it out nothing significant um, but if a good offer comes their way I think that, that has to give them all uh, they have to give that significant thought but I'm not expecting let's say huge chip turnover here at the deadline
1: and again three weeks from today the NBA trade deadline um do I should I read anything to Tyrese Hallibur not being in the building last night Scott I don't think so
0: I'm not certain exactly what that was but a good assumption there is that after going to Milwaukee with the team which is home for him by the way right is that he returned to Indianapolis and continued rehab there um, I expect to see him in Denver, but uh, we'll see with that. But no, more than anything, it's usually either returned home or back in the locker room um, getting rehab or treatment or something like that.
1: And we have not heard any sort of update. We're, we're a week out from his injury. Again, the reevaluation date is a week from today. We have not heard anything in the last week, right, on no. any sort of time timetable. Right,
0: nothing new, and in that two weeks was not a return to emphasize the fans. That was to be reevaluated to have a fresh assessment. Basically, don't ask us about it for a couple of weeks, and we'll see. Um, but that elbow, more than anything, more than once I had looked into that, even more, that scared me even uh, a little bit more than that knee injury, which he similarly had before a couple of years ago. Not uh,
1: shooting elbow, elbow,
0: though, right? Correct, non-shooting elbow, left one. Um, but I had read where, uh, you know, that had kept guys out fifteen to you know eighteen games on average. So I'm curious to see if that will be something similar. And again, everybody's body's different, how they react. Some guys are much better playing through pain and everything. But um, uh, you, you hear about the elbow, you're like, oh, it's a bruised elbow. No, it's a little bit more than that.
3: So, Scott, in your opinion. If you take into consideration injuries, so that's a big disclaimer. Who has been the Pacers' most consistent performer this season?
0: Ooh, uh, I think let's throw out throw out Halliburton just because that's the cheat code right there. Um, it's tough because. You, I want to tweak the circumstances a little bit, right? Like I might have said, Buddy healed until Halliburton's not in the equation because he's looked like a very different player these last five games. Um, Turner, to his credit, has been really consistent. He's just had a couple of dud games, right? But after the after that, I honestly might go with Miles, um, just with like two exclusions this season.
1: And Scott Agnes with us here from Fieldhouse Files. Sorry, Jake, do you have you have something? No, to what about you,
3: Jake. What stood out to you? It's funny because I was thinking about that, and, and I part of me wants to say Matherin, but he also has had some games where a little long December. Yeah, you you wondered if he'd hit the rookie wall, right? And then he you know he's kind of bounced back from that. Um, you know, some guys. Jalen Smith has probably been as consistent as anybody but it's because he's just kind of been consistently there and like hasn't jumped out at you you know i i don't want to say that jalen smith has underperformed scott but i i kind of expected a little bit more from him
0: is that fair yeah, i i did i think that's totally fair and i think carlisle did as well and that's why last night he, he gave him his first did not play coach's decision a guy that re-signed this offseason, a guy that was crowned the starting power forward to begin the year, has started in 65% of games. A little bit bizarre to go so far into one spectrum from starting to the bench to not even playing in a game where Goga gets like six minutes. So basically, uh, to me, I viewed that as a lesson learned. I think Rick still believes in him and, and is going to give him more of a shot. But perhaps he thought he needed some kind of wake-up call, some kind of jolt, because he hasn't been playing at that level that we had expected or had been come, become accustomed to really over the last month. And his minutes has shown, too. He's dropped from 23 minutes a game to like 13, 14 here. And, and I think that's tough, especially for any big man to get the rhythm out there.
1: Yeah, Terry Taylor was in there before Jalen Smith, of course, last night. Again, Scott Agnes with us from Fieldhouse Files. Uh, On the Payless Lickers hotline, Pacers have lost five straight for the first time all season at Denver, at Phoenix, coming up Friday and Saturday. Of course, the Phoenix matchup with DeAndre Ayton, probably one that Miles Turner will be looking forward to. Um, Scott, when I was watching the game last night, I think two prevailing thoughts I had, and they do go hand-in-hand. One is Tyrese Halliburton has got to be one of the most valuable players in the NBA to his own team. Like It's unbelievable how valuable he is to the Pacers. And off of that... I think the Pacers need one more major piece if we're looking big picture. You know, you saw Milwaukee on Monday night, down Giannis, uh, or I guess Monday afternoon, down Giannis, down Middleton, and they still put up 130. Drew Holiday is a huge part of that. They they have that another piece that can be a catalyst, and obviously they've got a whole lot around him from a shooting standpoint. Um, I know that's kind of a lofty goal to be at a Milwaukee level, but if you're going to rebuild, rebuild. And and I kind of look at it as it's still a team that should be striving to get one more piece to go along with viewing Halliburton and Matherin as you know two definite guys moving forward.
0: No, I would completely agree with you there. And I think, I don't know if he'll get it, but I think Drew Holiday should be getting serious consideration for All-Stars. But, yeah, if you're, if you're the guy in the video room cutting up highlights and drawing up a case for Halliburton to be an All-Star, all you're doing, right, is sending the other coaches in the league the video from the last five games and the stats. And they're like, look, without him with him. Like this is this is what it looks like. And so much of it I wonder too just because we've, we've talked this season with Rick about, you know, how little play calls he's doing and how Tyrese is not only being the quote-unquote connector out there, but he's also running the show. He's calling the plays. He's getting them into the offense. He's setting guys up. He's passing it ahead. That there's even more now of a drop off when he's not out there because of how much of an influence and, and power and, and, and how much he helps everybody else on the floor. I think you're really seeing that here.
3: Scott, the one interesting thing to me about this team, Scott Agnes is our guest on the Payless Sugars Hotline. The, the player that it feels to me like this team is missing is interestingly enough one that seems like there's a surplus of to a lot of teams in the league. And that is just... A, a length wing guy you know a, one of the a six seven six eight guy with a wingspan that can guard on the wings maybe get you 10 or 12 points but it's primarily there as a wing defender og you Ananobi. Know, og Ananobi. i you know it feels like oklahoma city has 37 of these guys <laughs> minnesota yeah. has like 10 of them is that if you if that's what you need as a team if that's what you're missing Is it a buyer's market for that? Or are you going to have to give up some pieces to get a guy like that?
0: Yeah, it's the latter, Jake. I mean, it's not even a first-round pick or two. It might even be three is what it seems like. Let's take a guy like OG Ananobi because you're right. It completely makes sense, and and I've been on that train for several years now. That's the position they need to fill, the lengthy wing who can defend first. And think how much better perhaps Andrew Nembhard might be right now. Because I worried about him going into this stretch purely because, one, he's a rookie. Two, he's already taking on the biggest defensive assignment each night. Now you want him to run the offense as well? That is so much to ask of any player also taking in consideration he's just a rookie. So that's another area where, yeah, that, they would really uh, get some help there. And you're seeing a lot of those young teams, you're right, that, that's kind of the prototype. Specifically, Toronto and OKC—they just draft six, seven, six, eight length, and try to develop them and see what kind of talent they can get out of them. And the Pacers certainly could use at least one of those. And so, again, I think that's a situation where they're not going to be willing to give up four first-round picks for any of these guys. But if if they need to be a third team in a deal, if they can work their way in, the thing right now for one about the trade deadline is nothing really gets going just yet. So anything right you hear right now generally is not going to develop. It's more speculation since as KB said, we're three weeks out. What you'll really see is that final week, three days beforehand things pick up people then to really understand what the cost is and not just throwing out outlandish, um, you know, offers or demands, I guess, if you will. But thus far, The biggest thing I've seen so far is with the play-in tournament, it's altered teams' expectations and willingness to give things up because they're clinging on to hope. They're 10th right now, and even though they're five games out of 7th they they're like, well, we could finish in the play-in game and maybe make the playoffs. And so, therefore, right now, it feels like there just aren't a lot of buyers out there, but it's... Uh, there's seller, excuse me, out
3: there. Does but again, the and we'll
0: see closer to the time.
3: Does the continued kind of evolution of Aaron Niesmith soften a little bit? Like, can he be that guy, Scott, or does he need to be kind of the secondary defender on the wing, and they still need a length guy?
0: Yeah, I, I think the latter point. I think you really need more of a physical, more of a lengthy guy out on the perimeter, and if Niesmith. Really, Nemhard. I think Nemhard would probably be your number two, and then Neesmith would be your number three in an ideal situation. Um, that that would just free up so much for everybody else out there. And so, uh, and then if you want to take it another step further, I think it's the next position I would address is the true four spot and get a, a kind of a bully power forward, an enforcer out there that can also contribute to both ends, can rebound because that's always been a struggle for this franchise. Um, that'd be the next position of Dean I'd go down the list.
1: Can okay, Scott Agnes with us from Fieldhouse Files. Last one from me, Scott. You've seen in years past the Pacers, you know, get a Jalen Smith, get an Aaron Neesmith via trade. You know, lottery picks that have not, you know, had great opportunity and or just not worked out in their previous spots. Do you look at Chris Duarte and or Gogo Batadze? I know Gogo wasn't a lottery pick, but do you look at them in either of that light right now as like, It's just not going to work out here for whatever reason. And Indiana should look at moving them. Slash, I don't even know what they would yield in return.
0: Yeah, with Goga, I mean, I'm sure another team could have him for a second-round pick. I I think the writing has kind of been on the wall there in terms of he doesn't exactly fit here from what I've seen. Now, Duarte, not at all the case. They're very much believers in him. I, I think there could be a willingness to part with him for the right price just because you'd, you'd have to consider everything right now if you're the Pacers um, and, and you're trying to build assets and, you know, what if Dorte could step in on a playoff team right now uh, and, and have that confidence with them? I, I, to me, nobody's untouchable. That's how I look at it. Um, but I, I think I think there has to be a willingness to move on for Dorte. However, you look at what he's done over the last month, really since injury, and i got to believe that, really took a dent on his value right now. So I'm not even sure you'd want to consider that um, right now. If anything, is now the time when you consider moving a guy like Buddy Heald only because you see how, how he has been relying on Halliburton and maybe how those two have to go hand in hand? I don't know. The, the, the thought in general, if you're the front office or the Pacers, I think you have to consider, is will, is this the best that Buddy – and Miles will ever play. Correct. Meaning, do you sell high right now? Yeah, that's That's, fair. That's a significant thought I'd have to have
3: right now. That's a really good question, actually. Uh, Scott Agnes, Fieldhouse Files is where you can continue to read all of the Pacers coverage. Again, Pacers in Denver tomorrow night, then Phoenix on Saturday before back at the Fieldhouse Tuesday for the Chicago Bulls. Scott, appreciate it. Enjoy what remains of the sun here this morning. All right. Thanks, guys.